everyone. I am going to go in the direction that my heart says I should go. So this is how it's going to be done. EverydayFeminism.com. So you want to try polyamory, April 7, 2014, Jenny Brown. So you've been reading about polyamory and decided it's something you want to try. Or maybe you're still thinking about it, but don't have a clear sense of where you even begin. Here are a few tips, guidelines, and things to consider for people just starting out in the polyamorous world. Questions to ask yourself. Partly because it's outside of our cultural norm and partly because it involves coordinating the needs and preferences of so many people. Being happily polyamorous pretty much requires the ability to reflect on what you want and need and communicate both with your partners. Whether you're starting out solo or opening up, an, or opening up an existing relationship, these are some questions that will be very helpful to ponder at the beginning of your polyam journey. Why, one, why do I want this? What great things are you expecting polyamory to bring to your life? More sex, someone to go with you to the movies that your partner hates, a warm, loving community of friends and lovers. Okay, here's where I'm going to answer the question, because as y'all know, I'm polyamorous, solo poly, actually. I think that for me, I'm going to have a warm, loving community of friends and lovers. I think that I get to go to functions that are not about hatred, but about um, peace and tranquility. Yes, I want more sex. I'm not under sex, and I'm not over sex, but I do want more sex. What type of more sex do you want, Antonio? I want more ethical slash humane sex. I want more ethical slash humane partners. I think polyamory is going to help me to parent myself and nobody else. That's the biggest reason why I don't want to be a parent. And that's another big reason. That's the biggest reason why I don't want to have offspring either. Um, but I do want also to be able to spend more time enjoying positive adult human variety in terms of personality, temperament, convictions, um, and uh, meaningful deeds that are philanthropic, charitable, and humanitarian. Uh, so that is what polyamory is going to bring to my life. There are lots of good reasons to get into polyamory. Making it clear to yourself which things are most important to you will help you guide your decisions. If you're opening up an existing relationship, it's good for you to know what your partners is are hoping to gain and vice versa. Articulating why you want to Articulating why you want to be polyamorous will also help you navigate the times when it's tough. You can look back at your goals and assess whether you're moving towards them overall, whether you're working through the hard stuff, the hard shit, and still working. Two, what would an ideal situation look like? 
This will likely change with time, experience, and people you meet, but it's still good to set a baseline expectation. Does the idea of a big house with five or six adults sharing love, sex, and household responsibilities sound awesome or alarming? Personally, for myself, I think it's awesome for people who do that. However, I think it's alarming for me personally to do that. Um, would you like to have a lot of partners that see you occasionally or just two or three that you focus on? To me, it's not an either or. I want to have a lot of partners that see me occasionally as well as the two or three that I focus on. Why does that have to be just two or three? Can it be more than two or three? For me, it will be. How much time a week do you want to spend on dates, whether with new people or established partners? I would say depends on our schedules as compatibility and chemistry. Time will tell. And the and dates in this case means casual dates, okay? So how much time do I want to spend on dates with new people and established partners? I would say our schedules have to have compatibility and chemistry, and we do right based on the availability that we possess. Would you prefer to be friends with your partners and partners or keep relationships separate? For me, I don't have a preference. I don't have an expectation of friendship. I also don't have an expectation of relationships being separate. It depends on the personality of the partner, my partner's partner, and it depends upon which dynamics will or will not work because everyone's schedules and lifestyles, activities, and commitments and responsibilities are all diverse, so it depends. But none of these people will be assholes. I know that for certain. Um, whatever feels ideal for you is great. And knowing your own expectations and boundaries can help you worth finding partners who share your needs. Three, what are my insecurities and fears? Pause. I don't have any insecurities and fears because I resolved them all. Um, I would never get with somebody that lives a life of bowing down to insecurities and fears. And I would never, and my partners would never um, bring me to their life if I had, if I was cowtowned to insecurities and fears myself, and we don't do that. So because I'm so self-secure and I, I'm self-courageous and my partners would be too, even if they had insecurities and fears, it won't be clingy, needy type. It'll be the typical, well, I, I don't want to say typical because I don't want to minimize hardships and difficulties. I will say that for, for us, it will definitely be insecurities and fears that are bearable, things that can be worked out well and it won't be uh, nightmarish for any of us. But I don't have any scares and fears, and I'm honest about that, because every day I do the healing work, and the, every day as I keep doing the healing work, the insecurities and fears let go of, of my heart. And, and 
I'm so immeasurable, you know, my healing work success is immeasurable. And exceptional. Immeasurable and describable. That I have the internal boundaries to keep insecurities and fears from re-entering my heart. No re-entry. Here we go. Seeing a partner enjoy loving relationship with someone else has potential to bring all the insecurities to the forefront. So it's helpful to get in some work on addressing ahead of time. For me, I don't have a problem with that. Because I'm so accepting of the fact that my partners have had sex with other people before me, it's the same acceptance you have to have if you're in a monogamous relationship with a person. They, most people who practice monogamy had sex with someone else and or others before they arrived at your destination. So it's the same thing if you're polyamorous. The truth is still the truth. So, and the same truth applies. So what I do is, hey, I've had sex with other people before I've met my partners too. It's the truth. So there is no sense of, oh my God, you are biologically attracted to other people. And we're into physically intimate, but you still have the hot brothers people. We don't treat each other like that. We just, we accept it, but we don't fixate on it. It's not something we constantly just bring up. It's like, yes, we already discussed this so well. We, we don't need to discuss it much. It's like, okay, we have an understanding of, hey, you can still have other people as a part of your sexual history, and I'll have other people as part of my sexual history. And we're big on, you know, hey, as long as they are high-quality, hearted people, when it comes to you, when it comes to me, no issues, no problems. That's how we operate. Um, some people get anxious about being abandoned by a partner, while others are more afraid of being taken for granted or always being in second place. I know for myself, I don't have abandonment. I don't have abandonment issues that are internally crippling. So the anxious about abandoned by a partner, that's not my issue. That's not my problem. Others are more afraid of being taken for granted. No, I would never get with somebody that would make me feel that way. I don't take myself for granted, so I don't allow myself to take. And always being in second place. I don't live a life of feeling like I'm a loser. So I, I'm in first place with myself. So I get with people who honor the victor and winner that I am in terms of moral excellence. And they are the same ways too. Some of us have issues around our bodies, our sexual abilities. For me, I overcame the being hairy insecurity um because actually having hair is healthy for your body um it keeps out unwanted germs unwanted bacteria and it's much easier to um deal with in terms of you know the heat you know hair is there to help keep your body warm keep your body from 
um, falling apart if you were in the cold or something like that. And as you know, I no longer have insecurity when it comes to my penis because I would never get with someone that would ridicule my genitalia. And I would never ridicule their genitalia and I would never dishonor their bodies. And I had to really overcome bodily related insecurities and fears because I plan on being an adult entertainment, adult film superstar globally um, in the future. So I really, really did the work of body insecurities. So I'm like, I have the perfect body to myself and the partners that I have, whether they're my future porn co-stars or whether they are my personal sex life, I would never get with anyone that didn't think that my body is art to them that they like to explore and, and experience novelty, discovery, and pleasure. So I don't have sex with people that body shame me. I don't body shame them. I don't have sex with people that are fucked up. And I'm not fucked up. And that's one of the reasons why my partners think well of me. And I don't have sex with people that are toxic. I don't have sex with people I don't like. My partners like me, sensible, that sex with me. My partners know I'm a positive person. They're positive people. So, makes sense to have sex with each other, right? And, we're not trying to prove our sense of gender. We're, we're not parading each other. We're not, um, treating each other like trophies and rewards. Uh, we're not defiling each other. We're not, we don't kink shame each other. We don't sex shame each other. We don't slut shame each other. We keep rape culture out of our lives together. And we don't prove shame each other. Hmm. We're sex positive, sexually liberated people. Um, and issues around sexual abilities. Now, I overcame those because I recognized I wouldn't sleep with a person that would shame me for my sexual performance. And I wouldn't shame them for their sexual performance because sex is one of the most vulnerable human team group activities that you can do. It may be the most vulnerable actually because sharing your body naked with somebody and they're sharing their naked body with you is a level of genuineness that is remarkable. And it's more vulnerable for me because in the future, I'll be sharing my naked body with the world on. Um, so our naked bodies will be for the world to see. 
So I really had to understand that I don't care what people think of our sexual abilities and our bodies, our sexual performance and how we support each other's bodies. I don't care about that because I have real sex and to the people who would criticize or say something about it, I don't entertain them in my heart. I don't entertain them in my mind. I don't entertain them in my inner life. So I don't care about pleasing everybody. I The only people that I focus on besides my porn partners that will be in the future are my future viewers, my um, future fans. Because as a public figure, everybody's always gonna have something to say. It could be through devices, it could be in person. I don't wanna please everybody. It's not where my heart is. So me being in porn is about, you know, ethical um, guidelines, ethical porn. So that is how I choose to help myself. And none of what I do is done out of pain. None of what I do is done out of trauma. I never do say, think, or feel anything out of unresolved trauma, unresolved pain. Um, I do everything, think everything, feel everything, say everything out of resolved trauma and resolved pain. Um, whatever your personal buttons are, polyamory almost certainly pushed them. It's scary and often painful, but it can be great in the long run. There's something profoundly reassuring about finding out that your partner still wants to be with you. And even when you even when they've got to experience the great things another person has to offer. Number four, how will I handle jealousy? You will get jealous at some point. That's pretty inevitable. It doesn't mean you're bad at polyamory and mature. First of all, I'm not the jealous type. So jealousy wouldn't be an issue or problem. And I would have the healthy relationship with our partners where we keep jealous out of our relationship of our relationships because we don't do comparisons we don't size people up we don't rank people because we don't need it we don't want it um okay the key with jealousy is not avoiding it, but dealing with it when it arrives. There are lots of great resources out there with advice and wisdom dealing with jealousy. Read them ahead of time and keep the most helpful ones on hand for when the green-eyed monster rears its head. So let's, so, now I want to go to number five. What are my boundaries around STIs, STDs, and protection? Part of responsible non-monogamy, something that I practice the lifestyle of mine responsible non-monogamy so part of responsible non-monogamy is think about safer sex protecting your partner as well as yourself I absolutely do that the vast majority of the polyam community are strict about using condoms for intercourse with new partners at the very least that would be me beyond that it's a matter of personal comfort for me that's true do you want to use condoms and dental dams or 
corsets and or and penetrative sets. Yes. Uh, how often do you get tests for STIs? Monthly. Um where do you be in a relationship before you consider stop using stopping using condoms? I'm gonna use condoms all the time. I never want to be married. I never want to be monogamous. I never want to have a serious kind of romantic relationship. So I'm gonna use condoms all the time. On screen and off screen. Just like it's important to discuss birth control and STIs and STD protections and monogamous relationships, it's also important to talk about it in polyamorous relationships. So make sure to make it a priority. I absolutely motherfucking do. Six, how will we handle dates and scheduling? If you're single, you can play this one by ear. But if you're opening up a relationship, you'll want to set expectations about logistics. Will you consult with each other for making a date? Yes, I'm speaking for myself. Or just inform each other once you've made arrangements. Well, that too. It depends on the type of partner that we consult with each other. We inform each other once we do stuff. If we, it depends on the type of trust we have. Do mm. so you need to make sure the other partner has a date or friend to hang out with when one has a date? We'll talk about it. If they need it, fine. If not, that's fine. I'm just speaking for me. It's often helpful to have some other activity rather than staying home alone when your partner has a date, especially at first. That would be true for me. I, I live a I live a fun life, so I wouldn't be moping around or being you know, being by myself. I would have a social life. They have a social life. So we we have our separate social lives and our group social lives. That's how we roll. Can you have dates over the, over to the house if the other partner's home? So how we share the space? Um, if we're having a group activity, uh, see why not? You know. But if they want to, you know, have it differently, where they hang out with their people, hang out with my people, depends. Every partner is different, you know? So, I'm open to sharing and not sharing. Depends on our comfort level. Preventing problems before they arise is easier than intervening once they pop up and making sure that you figure out logistics beforehand can really help in that endeavor. Absolutely. How to meet people. At some point in the process of becoming poly, most people have a moment where they look around and go, wait, how do I meet people anyway? While polyamorous dating is just like single slash monogamous dating in many ways, there are some key differences and things to consider. A lot of polyamorous people using uh, use online dating services a lot. Me, I, I decided I'm going to be much more in person about it than use online dating services. I don't mind using them. Um, I'll just be safe about it and cautious about myself the boundaries, but I decided these are my dating services. As a secondary option, my primary option would be just meet people the right meet the right people and be respectfully honest about my being solo poly. 
Many people in life the major advantage of anything to look specifically to people who are already poly open to it. That's what gave me major hassle. How when do I tell someone I'm polyamorous? I don't really have that as a hassle. Because I am solo poly, I don't have to answer to a committed mate of mine. That's how I feel. Okay, Cupid is overwhelming the most popular site for non-monogamous people. I may use that in the future, possibly. Largely because it has a specific setting for non-monogamous relationships. That's a good way to meet people to go to polyam meetups, I will in the future. Although, see the point below about going to such things so focused on finding a partner. Search around on social networking sites for polyam groups in your area see if they do a regular meetup somewhere. This is a great way to connect with the local community. You can also meet people any of the ways one does when monogamous bars, coffee shops, share activity interest groups. The cash stares that I'll be going to those places in the future too. The cash stares that monogamy can soon default for a relationship, so at some point you'll have to tell the person you're flirting with that you're poly. I recommend doing this other as possible, putting it in with the other get to know you questions to spare both uh, to spare both of you the heartache of clicking really well with someone whose relation style preferences are incompatible with yours. Mistakes to avoid. As of trying anything new, you'll definitely make some mistakes and that's okay. Bear some comments with care bear some common beginner mistakes to avoid. One being a dating hound, a lot of people decide to be poly, connect with the community, and usually start flirting with asking out everyone they think is cute. It's understandable. Suddenly, there are much fewer restrictions on who you can date and who to start some relationships. Take it easy. First of all, people can tell when you're looking to fill a spot in your life rather than connecting, particularly within this often off putting. Second, by jumping immediately to who here can I make out with, you're taking the focus off building friendships. Building friendships with other polyamorous folks is helpful on multiple levels. The friends you make will help you navigate the tough times and show different models of how people actually do polyamory. It's fine and natural to go to a polyam gathering hoping to meet a potential partner, but I recommend giving at least as much energy to making solid friendships and finding the people who will be your polyam support network. Two, getting swept up in the NRE. New relationship energy or NRE is that feeling you get when you're dating someone new and really into them. It's the butterflies, the giddy joys and crushing anxieties that I can't stop thinking about them and my friends are getting sick of hearing their name. It's a common experience any dating style, but polyamory creates the potential for a situation where you're feeling all the rush and thrills of a new relationship while simultaneously maintaining an older established relationship. This can, cre this can create stress and conflicting feelings all around. When you're in the throes of NRE, the impulse is to spend every waking minute with your new partner to rush over to their house as soon as you hear they're feeling sick to shower them with love and attention at every goddamn opportunity. If you're already having a long-term partner, they may feel neglected or fear that you love the new person more. You yourself may feel confused, maybe even pissed. Maybe you love your long-term partner and can't imagine life without them. That may be a that may feel like pure hell to you. That may be a hell of a damn bad time for you. 
but you cannot deny that the level of passion and excitement and feeling for the new person is just different. And art is a normal relationship stage, and it's a fun one. Growing out of it is also normal, whether that means falling out of love and letting the relationship dissolve, or developing a strong attachment bond which is steady and loving, but lacks the big highs and lows of the NRE phase. Understanding this is key to dealing with NRE. Whether you're the only, whether you're the one newly in love, or the one watching your partner fall for someone else. Everybody needs to find a balance between relishing the new feelings and make sure the existing partners don't end up neglected. With practice, a lot of poly energy, but find ways to channel the energy from the new relationship into longer established ones, bringing a fresh surge of energy, tenderness, and excitement to relationships that have been going on for years. Through letting fear determine the course of your relationship. Setting rules and boundaries is important, but it's also important to make sure these are being set for the right reasons. A lot of people, especially if they're opening up an established relationship, worry about losing their part and they set up rules to make them feel safer. But rules can't protect the relationship. Only mutual commitment, respect, and compatibility can do that. If you and your partner have a relationship that's benefiting both of you, that you're both giving sufficient time and attention to, that's founded on mutual love, trust, and respect, and then you don't need rules to keep it safe. If the relationship is already broken, if one of you is seeking looking for a way out, ultimately you just aren't a good match for each other, all rules will do is delay the inevitable and cause more heartbreak and fighting in the meantime. Above all, stay flexible and be kind to yourself. Polyamory brings a lot of changes and a lot of self-discovery. There will be times when it's hard and scary, and times where it's fucking exhilarating and fucking life-giving. It can take some time to figure out how even if polyamory works best in your life. Embrace the motherfucking process. Ultimately, the goal is to deepen and strengthen your relationship with your number one partner. Yo, goddamn self. God damn it. So now you understand more of how polyamory works for me. Okay, let's talk about... So let's mention the writer of this article, Jen, the one I just read to you. Jenny Brown is a writer, speaker, and educator specializing in sexuality and relationships. She recently completed her MED in human sexuality and teaches college courses in health and sexuality. She also writes at www.polyskeptic.com a blog about polyamory, atheism, and culture. When not writing, thinking, and talking about sex and relationships, she's most often found knitting and watching Doctor Who. Follow her on Twitter at L-I-R-E. L-Y-N. Okay, let's mention the writer of this article. Adrian Ballou is a contributing writer for everyday feminism and a genderqueer writer, artist, activist, and educator. They graduated cum laude from the transmisogynistic Smith College in 2011 and they have spent the past several years doing youth development work both inside and outside the classroom. They particularly enjoy developing, delivering curriculum on social justice education and youth organizing their free time. They cook lots of food, sing songs, make art, and practice in Spanish, Hindu, and Urdu. You can read our articles here at everydayfeminism.com. December 6, 2014. 10 myths about non-binary people. It's time to unlearn. What's number one misconception about non-binary people is that we don't exist. In fact, if you Google ginger queer is, here are the top feelings that come up. Bullshit. A fad, F-A-D. 
and not real. Awesome. But despite the many Googlers doubting us, we do exist in multitudes. It's just that there are very few spaces where we can be ourselves. Although many think that we don't exist, ironically, there are still harmful stereotypes about us. Today, we're going to look at ones that come from the United States. Many people grew up being told that all people were either male or female. They never imagined that instead of two binary options for gender, there is a whole planet of, planet of possibilities out there. Now, finally, people are becoming more aware of non-binary genders, which you can learn more about on ajfeminism.com. This article in particular though is for people who already are aware that a world of gender exists and who and who want to know more about non-binary people. Hopefully it'll also help you understand sexism in general more deeply because as Julia Sorario puts it, there are two main roots of sexism. One is the privileging of masculinity and maleness over femininity and femaleness. Another is non-binary oppression or forced conformity to binary gender expectations. While non-binary people are most directly oppressed by binary prejudice, revamping our conception of binary gender frees everyone. Non-binary people are so marginalized that our genders do not occur to most people except as a bad joke. We have no high-profile role models of political representation. Most people in the feminist community, and even many in the trans community, omit us in discussions of gender justice. Yet our gender identities or lack of gender are at the heart of sexist thinking. Understanding non-binary oppression is a key piece of the puzzle for understanding gender-based oppression overall. Unlearning misconceptions and stereotypes about non-binary people is a great place to start. But first, a note on language. Not everyone who is non-binary identifies as trans. Not everyone who isn't solely male or female identifies as non-binary either. And a gender people sometimes dislike the words non-binary and trans because they have the implication of gender within them. In this article, I will use the phrase non-binary as an imperfect umbrella term for anyone who does not solely identify as male or female. Myth number one, you are trying to be special snowflakes or this is just a fad, F-A-D. This stereotype comes with the assumption that we're spoiled to look for attention by trying to be unique. In actuality, this is, simple, this is simply our experience of gender and has nothing to do with fads. F-A-D-S in quotations, although I like to think we can be a fashionable bunch. Common phrases that adhere to stereotypes include, you can, still wear, you can still wear whatever you want and be a girl slash boy and just pick one already. When people say these things, they overlook the difference between gender identity and gender expression. Non-binary people can express our genders in any way that works for us, but, in, but at the end of the day, our gender identities still don't fit solely into male or female. For a non-binary person, choosing between being male or female is simply not an option. The range of non-binary gender identities is nearly boundless, and so are the words we use to describe ourselves. You know, everyday feminism, you can go to genderqueries.tumblr.com slash identities, here's a list of some of those words. Our diversity, far from invalidating our identities, is at the heart of who we are. Myth number two, you're just confused. Being non-binary does not mean that we're confused about our genders. It simply means that our gender is not solely male or female, or that we have no gender. Underlying this myth is the idea that because others are often confused by us, there's no way that we can actually be sure about being non-binary. There also is the assumption that if we're confused, then it's okay for people to decide how to refer to us. However, there's prop. However, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being confused about your gender. Confusion is completely normal and a part of many trans people's process. 
What is unacceptable though is invalidating people's genders because they're still figuring things out. No matter what, others should affirm and respect our gender. Myth number three, you are a new concept. Non-binary people have been around in all societies for a very long time. I say centuries. In mainstream American society, we simply have received no societal space or attention until recently. This reasoning is often backed up by the thought that if I haven't heard of it until now, it must not have existed until now. In fact, many cultures across the world have words for genders that are neither or both male or female, and a number of cultures have specific spaces for them. This map, although it employs problematic curious language at times, is a good starting point to learn more. pbs.org slash independent lens slash two spirits slash map dot html. Okay. Being non-binary is a normal, natural way of being, experiencing gender or being agender, and that's been since, uh, fucking forever. Myth number four. You all fit on a spectrum from masculine to feminine. Many people like to say that the binary gender system only allows us two colors, and really, the full possibilities of gender exist as a whole range of color. This analogy is more useful than cortical spectrum because it allows for all genders to be measured, not by the amount at, at which they quote measure up to the most to the most common gender identities and expressions, but simply by the way they just are. Sometimes the spectrum analogy is helpful. For example, it's useful when someone is trying to describe their gender in relation to binary gender identities and expressions, or if their gender feels relatable to those things. But gender has so many more possibilities than that. For some people, cocoa spectrum is just too small of a concept. In terms of gender expression, masculine, feminine, slash, or androgynous are words that work for some non-binary people. There are also so many more ways for non-binary people to express themselves and to experience gender. This is why it's important to assume you don't know someone's gender identity to always ask how to refer to someone. If number five, you're gender queer, that's so political. We don't tell binary people, oh, you're a man, that's so radical, or oh, you're a woman, that's a divisive stand to take. Even though being a trans or cis man, or a trans or cis woman, certainly has political implications, it is first and foremost recognized as a gender identity. People seem to think that we're non-binary simply to spread a political message about gender, or to quote-unquote smash their binary in, a, in an ideological sense, in an ideological sense. In reality, we're simply trying to live our lives as ourselves. Being non-binary is first and foremost about gender identity. When so many people deny who we are, our very existence can be political. We are often not always political because our identities are so marginalized. But our actual genders or gender status are simply an innate part of us. Myth number six, we want to destroy gender. This myth asserts that we are validating binary, trans, and cis people's genders. It also ignores that many non-binary people do have genders themselves and show, and sure, some non-binary people hate the whole idea of gender and the gender system, therefore do identify with the idea of destroying gender. After all, the binary gender system has oppressed us literally out of our lives and ourselves. Usually, though, the conversation is about building space for a whole world of genders. It's not about disallowing binary people trans assist from having binary genders. Instead of destroying gender, many of us simply want more options for gender, or the option to have, or the option to not have one at all, actually. 
born a world that has been unnecessarily and painfully restricted to be open up in full color. We're creating a world where gender is joyful for all who experience it. Myth number seven. Your pronouns are ridiculous. Trans people often have to fight for people to use the right pronouns. In addition to this, many non-binary people also have to fight against ridicule of their actual pronouns. People's incredulousness often goes back to the idea that we're asking for special treatment. Like with any pronoun change, people also tend to focus more on how difficult it is to accommodate the change rather than on how to make this as easy as possible for the person transitioning. When there are unfamiliar pronouns involved, this reluctance can grow even more quickly. But instead, the focus should be on respecting the needs of the person who is transitioning. It could be a learning curve to get non-binary pronouns right, but respecting everyone's genders is important. Whatever pronouns anyone uses, and there are so many possibilities, those pronouns are an expression of who they are. Some people use all or multiple pronouns, and some people use no pronouns. Using he slash him slash his or she slash her slash hers pronouns does not always mean that someone is actually male or female. That's why it's better to introduce yourself to confidential pronouns you use rather than calling them quote unquote male or quote unquote female pronouns. And some non-binary people use gender neutral pronouns are happy with someone using any or many gender neutral pronoun options. Some are not for a large variety of reasons. So please be sure that you are clear on what the non-binary people in your life need. When someone asks for a pronoun change, it is it's to become more comfortable and happy. There's nothing ridiculous about that. For a discussion of why it's important to respect all pronouns, please check out this article, washingtonpost.com slash lifestyle slash style slash gender neutral pronouns when they don't doesn't identify as either male or female. Okay. Myth number eight, you don't medically transition. Trans people have long been subjugated by the mental health and medical care systems in order to get the care they need. Trans women have had to express in typically feminine ways in order to get treatment in situations that are similar to trans men. Non-binary people were not recognized by the WPHTH standards of care until a few years ago. And finally, the mental health community said that a variety of gender-related treatment can be medically necessary for non-binary people. Now that the standards of care have been updated, non-binary medical transition is slowly becoming more accessible. However, research on non-binary treatment options is practically non-existent and the possibilities are very limited. Physical transition for trans people in general is hard to access and poorly research. If non-binary people, this problem is multiplied. Just as with binary trans people, not everyone who is non-binary medically transitions. Some people have experienced physical dysphoria. Some do not have options that work for them. Some people simply don't want to. Some people have been denied access. But it is, but it is true that some non-binary people can indeed transition medically. Myth number nine, non-binary equals intersex. These are, these are two different things like entirely. Being non-binary is about having a gender identity that doesn't fit neatly into quote-unquote man or quote-unquote woman. Being intersex is about being born with a physical sex that isn't classified as simply male or female. This idea that intersex and non-binary people are the same comes from the insistence that our gender identities must quote-unquote match our sexes and therefore, the sexes of non-binary people must not be male or female, therefore, supposedly intersex. Reducing people to their body parts is a basic form of transphobia and sexism in general. In addition, some well-mentioned, some well-intentioned people try to problematize the gender binary by saying that intersex people's existence demonstrates that quote-unquote man and quote-unquote woman are the only two options. 
this flawed logic does more harm than good, however. The existence of a variety of sex is unrelated to the existence of a variety of gender identities. This is because our bodies do not determine gender identities, they often influence the way we experience it. If number 10, you don't experience trans oppression. In fact, we suffer significant impacts of anti transgender bias, in some cases, are at higher risk of discrimination and violence and murder than our binary transgender counterparts, according to this groundbreaking 2008 National Transgender Discrimination Survey. It's probably due to the fact that binary prejudice is common both to trans and cis communities, leading up to very few safe spaces and support systems. These statistics also might be affected by the fact that a, per- that a proportionally higher amount of people of color identified as non-binary since racism greatly increased the risk a trans person faces. This survey found that compared with binary trans people, we have higher rates of physical and sexual assault, police harassment, and working in the underground economy. Non-binary people also attempt suicide at a sl- slightly higher rate, even than the already ridiculously high rate for trans people in general. 43% of us have attempted suicide, and that is deeply connected to the challenges we've discussed throughout this piece. It's hard to live in a world where we're told that we don't exist, and where we are punished, and silence with the invisible. Some people don't, they just give me pronouns, too many letters and acronyms. And I say, there's nothing too much about honoring the full humanity of humanity. Again, it's hard to live in a world where we're told we don't exist and we are and we, and we are punished and silenced for invisible. Given especially high levels of oppression, non-binary people face uniquely in nearly every category. It is imperative that non-binary people are one of the foremost voices in conversations on gender justice. There are ways you can help. The biggest way you can combat non-binary oppression in their lives is by including non-binary people anytime a relevant conversation about gender comes up. Ensuring that people are aware of the non-binary experiences will go a long way towards making the world a clear, glitterier, glitterier, happier place for all of our genders and for those who have none at all. So, yes, I'm a non-binary person myself. I do not want any surgeries, and I do not want to transition medically, but I do immerse myself in LGBT plus culture, uh, you know, the clubs, the gay boarhoods, gay villages they're called, the pride parades, the rainbow flags, pansexual flags, trans flags. I wave all those flags. Um, even like on the drag shows and things like that are just things I decided to do. Um, Friday events, I decided to go to them So, I'm thankful that I'm getting recognition. So, 
Healthline.com, six to eight terms of described gender identity and expression. Uh, medically reviewed by Francis Kilconnell, MSN, RNBC, was by Mayor Adams, LCSW, and CN Ferguson, big on February 9, 2022. Gender versus sex. Many people use the terms gender and sex interchangeably. However, gender and sex actually refer to two separate things. Gender is an identity, the personal sense of who you are. The term does refer to socially constructed categories that relate to what it means to be a man or a woman. Sex refers to biological and physiological characteristics, your genitals, hormones, and chromosomes that relate to your sex. Although many are taught that there are only two sexes, male and female, that isn't true. Some people are intersex or have a difference of sexual development, ESD. Many people grew up with a simplistic idea of gender and sex that there are two sexes, male and female, that quote unquote match with two genders, man and woman. In reality, neither gender nor sex is binary. The categories used for sex and gender are socially constructed. This doesn't mean that sex and gender aren't real, but that the way people conceptualize them isn't set into the fabric of the universe and can and does change. What gender identity is, your gender identity is your personal sense of self, is how you as an individual conceptualize your own gender. Gender expression, on the other hand, is how you express your gender identity. Many do this through clothing, behavior, gesticulations, anything people might associate with gender. Your gender expression might match what society expects of your gender or it might subvert it. Gender presentations often use interchangeably with quote-unquote gender expression in the sense that it's how you present your gender, whether you intend to or not, externally. Somebody might quote-unquote present as one gender when they actually identify with another. For example, a transgender woman might present as masculine or non-binary person might present as feminine. The outside world might assume that they're one gender even when they're not. That's why it's important not to make assumptions about someone's gender based on how they look. Why it matters. Language and labels are important parts of understanding your gender knowing how to be affirming and supportive of other people's genders, but they can also be confusing. There are so many gender terms out there, many of which overlap. Some also have definitions that shift over time or across different sources of information. Thanks to the internet, we have more access to information, education, and visual representation of diverse genders. But comprehensive and inclusive resources about gender as a concept and this aspect of identity are still lacking. Here we attempt to bridge this gap by breaking down what many of these terms mean and how to use them. Having language that helps demonstrate the many ways people experience, express, or identify their gender allows us all to more clearly see and understand the entire gender spectrum, including it beyond the traditional binary gender categories of man and woman. So we're going to use terms A through C, okay? AFB, acronym meaning assigned female at birth. That's not me. A gender, someone who doesn't identify with the idea or experience of having a gender. That's not me. Ally a gender, a non-binary gender identity that doesn't fit to existing gender schemas or constructs. Wow. That might be me. I think that's me. Ali gender is me. Okay. A M A B acronym being assigned male at birth. That's not me. Androgen, someone who has a gender presentation of any identity that's gender neutral and draws has both masculine and feminine characteristics. Um that's not me. A core gender, both non-binary term and non-binary gender identity describe the experience of having a specific gender. 
that's different from man woman and combination of two. Hmm. I think that's me. That's me. A poor gender is me. By gender, the term describes someone who identifies with distinct genders. By gender indicates the number of gender identities someone has. It doesn't indicate which gender someone identifies with or the level of identification they have with a particular gender, such as 50% male, 50% demi girl. I'm not by gender. Binarism, generally binarism. Generally, binarism refers to gender systems, a scheme within a basement existence of two opposing parts, such as a such as man slash woman or masculine slash feminine. More specifically, binarism is a type of sexism that erases ethnic or culture-specific non-binary gender roles and identities. Binarism is not me. Body dysphoria. Body dysphoria is different from body dysmorphic disorder. It refers to, to a specific type of gender dysphoria that manifests as distress or discomfort with aspects of the body. This may include anatomy, shape, size, chromosome, secondary sex characteristics, or internal reproductive structure. A body dysphoria is something I don't have. BOI, boy? A term particularly primarily used in LGBT card plus community color that typically describes one of the presentation, sexuality, or gender is considered boyish. Boy is not me. But primarily used in LGBT card plus communities, this term typically describes someone with a presentation, sexuality, or gender as considered masculine. Plus doesn't necessarily indicate the other terms that someone might use to describe their presentation, sexuality, or gender. But is not me. Cisgender. A term used to describe people who exclusively identify with the sex and gender they were assigned at birth. Cisgender is not me. Cishet. A term that refers to someone who is both cisgender and heterosexual. I'm not cishet. Cisnormativity. The assumption that a person identifies with the sex or gender they were assigned at birth or that having cisgender or that having a cisgender identity. I'm sorry. Cisnormativity. The assumption that a person identifies with the sex or gender they were assigned at birth, or that having a cisgender cisgender gender identity is normal. I don't have cisnormativity. Cissexism, a form of oppression that discriminates against those who aren't cisgender. No sexism, no cissexism is not in my heart. Obviously, sexism is not in my heart, but cissexism is not in my heart either. Semi boy. This non binary gender identity describes on the particular who partially identifies as being a boy, man, or masculine. The term demi boy tells about someone's gender identity, but doesn't convey any information about the sex or gender assigned to someone at birth. A demi boy could be cisgender or trans. I'm not demi boy. Demi gender. This umbrella term typically includes non binary gender identities and uses the prefix demi to indicate the experience of having a partial identification or connection to a particular gender. This may include demi-girl, demi-boy, demi-and-bi, demi-trans. No, I'm not demi-gender. Um, demi-girl. This non-binary gender identity describes someone who partially identifies as being a girl, woman, woman with the X, or a feminine. The term demi-girl talks about someone's gender identity, but doesn't convey any information about the sex or gender assigned to someone at birth. A demi-girl could be cisgender or trans. I'm not a demi-girl. Dyadic. This dyadic, actually. This describes people who have sex characteristics such as chromosomes, hormones, internal organs, or anatomy. That could be easily categorized to the binary sex framework of male or female. Dyadic conveys information about someone's sex characteristics, but doesn't indicate anything about their gender. 
Um, finally, I experienced those things. But it doesn't indicate anything about my gender. So I do have a bodily dyadic. Because I do have penis and testicles, so... But my having these specials doesn't make me automatically a natural set. Uh, feminine essential describes people who experience their gender as feminine or femme. F E N E. Some feminine centered people also identify with the word woman, but others don't. The term feminine centered tells you about someone's gender identity, but doesn't convey any information about the sex or gender assigned to them at birth. Um, I'm not feminine of center. Um, feminine presenting describes people have a gender expression or presentation that they or others categorize feminine. Feminine pre- presenting is a term that captures the part of someone's gender that's shown externally, either through aspects of their style, appearance, physical traits, mannerisms, or body language. This term doesn't necessarily indicate anything about the way someone identifies their gender or the gender or sex assigned to them at birth. I'm not feminine presenting. Fem, F-E-N-M-E. This is a label for a gender identity or expression that describes someone with a gender that is or leans towards feminine. Some fems also identify the term woman while many others don't. Fem just indicates the way someone experiences or expresses their gender doesn't provide any information about their gender or sex assigned to them at birth. I'm not a fem. Female to male, FTM. This term is most commonly used to refer to trans males, trans women, some trans masculine people are assigned female at birth. It's important to only use this term if someone wants to be referred to this way, as some trans men and trans masculine people use terms that don't include or indicate the sex they were assigned at birth. I'm not female to male, I'm not FTM. Gender apathetic. This term describes someone who doesn't strongly identify with any gender with any gender labels. Some gender apathetic people also use terms that indicate the relationship with the sex or gender assigned to them at birth, such as cis apathetic or trans apathetic, while others don't. Generally, people who are gender apathetic display and add to the flexibility, openness, and not caring about how gender identity or presentation is perceived by others. But, you know, I do have moments of being gender apathetic, so sometimes that's me. Uh, gender binary, also known as gender binarism, this term for a gender classification is whether cultural, legal, structural, or social that organize gender and sex into mutually exclusive categories such man slash woman or masculine slash feminine. Um, I hate gender binary. Gender dysphoria. This is both a medical diagnosis and a formal term used to communicate challenging feelings or distress people experience in relation to gender. The medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria refers to a conflict between someone's assigned sex as male, female, or intersex and their gender identity. When used informally, gender dysphoria describes interactions, assumptions, physical traits, or body parts that don't feel affirming or inclusive of someone's expressed or experienced gender. I don't have gender dysphoria. Gender expansive is an umbrella term that's used to refer to people who subvert or don't conform to society's dominant view of gender. This could include trans people, non-binary people, people who are gender non-conforming, such as myself, and more. Um, yes, I'm gender expansive. Gender expression. 
Gender expression is the way someone expresses gender through behavior, mannerisms, interests, physical characteristics, or appearance. It's often but not always described using terms such as masculine, feminine, neutral, androgynous, conforming, or non-conforming. The words used to describe someone's gender expression are dependent upon social or cultural norms and stereotypes and may change over time. Yes, I do have a gender, I do have gender expression. Gender identity, this is the way someone experiences gender internally as part of their core sense of self. Gender identity can't be assumed based on appearance, anatomy, social norms, or stereotypes. Gender identity isn't determined by assigned gender or sex and often develops or changes over time. Yeah, I do have gender identity. I do have gender identities. Gender neutral pronouns. These pronouns aren't typically or culturally recognized as masculine or feminine or for men or women. Gender neutral pronouns are used by both cisgender and transgender individuals as a way to affirm and convey important information about who they are and how they want to be referred to. Examples include they slash them slash theirs, Z slash her slash hers, Z slash sir slash sirs, Z slash them slash sirs. Um, I don't mind being referred to as gender neutral pronouns personally. It doesn't bother me at all. I personally, again, I don't. I, I don't mind being personally being referred to um, with gender neutral pronouns. Gender nonconforming. The term used to describe people with a gender expression or presentation is different from cultural or social stereotypes associated with the person's perceived or assigned gender or sex. Gender nonconforming isn't a gender identity, though some people do self identify using this term. It doesn't convey any information about the way someone experiences gender internally. More accurately, gender nonconformity is a term used to describe physical traits and relationships with socially and culturally defined uh, gender categories. People of any gender, cis, trans, or non binary can be gender nonconforming. Um, yes, yeah, I'm gender nonconforming, as I said earlier. Gender normative, a term used to describe gender traits and identities that are perceived to fall within social norms and expectations. I'm not gender normative. Gender presentation. Some of the gender expression, gender presentation versus the way someone uses behavior, mannerisms, interests, physical characteristics, or appearance to convey or present a particular gender externally. I do have gender presentations. Gender questioning. The person is questioning one of the most aspects of the genesis of the gender identity or expression. I don't do gender questioning. Uh, gender roles. The interest, favors, and manners that a society culture assigns to a particular gender to the things expected of the person based on their assigned, perceived, or actual gender. Gender roles change over time and across cultures. I don't have any gender roles. Gender variant. Similar to gender nonconforming, gender variant is an umbrella term to describe people with a gender identity. Expression or presentation is different from the perceived social norm or dominant group. Some people dislike this term because of its potential to perpetuate misinformation and negative stigma about non-cisgender gender identities and non-conforming presentation being less quote-unquote normal or naturally occurring. I am gender variant, uh, gender fluid. This label is used to describe gender identity or expression. It involves the experience of moving between genders and having a gender that changes over a particular period of time. For example, from moment to moment, day to day, month to month, year to year, decade to decade. Yes, I'm gender fluid. Yes, I have gender fluidity. Gender fuck. Similar to the term gender bender, 
This term involves the act of combating or dismantling the gender binary stereotypes to a gender identity expression or presentation that challenges existing norms and exploitations against cultural contexts. Yes, gender fuck personal, personally perfectly describes me. Gender queer. It's non binary gender identity is a term describes someone with a gender that can't be categorized exclusively man or woman, exclusively masculine or feminine. People who are genderqueer experience and express gender different ways. This can include either both or a combination of man, woman, or non-binary genders. Yes, I'm genderqueer. Gender void. A term that describes someone without a gender identity. Although similar to a gender, gender void is usually associated with a feeling of loss or lack. I'm not gender void. Great gender, a gender term that describes someone who experiences ambivalence about gender identity or expression and doesn't fully identify with their binary gender that's exclusively man or woman. Sometimes I am gray gender. That applies to me sometimes. Intergender, a non-binary gender identity that describes the experience of having a gender that falls somewhere in between woman and man or is a mix of both man and woman. Sometimes I'm intergender. Um, Intersex, an umbrella term describes people with sex characteristics such as chromosomes, internal organs, hormones, or anatomy that can't be easily categorized into the binary sex framework of male or female. Intersex conveys information about a person's sex characteristics but doesn't indicate anything about their gender identity. I'm not intersex. Masculine is a term. The term describes people who experience their gender as masculine or mask, M-A-S-C. Some masculine centered people also identify with the word man, but many others don't. The term masculine of center tells you about someone's gender identity, but doesn't convey any information about the sex or gender assigned to them at birth. Masculine presenters. The term describes people who have a gender expressed representation that they or others categorize as masculine. Masculine presenting captures the part of someone's gender that's shown externally, either through aspects of their style, appearance, physical traits, mannerisms, or body language. The term doesn't necessarily indicate anything about the way someone identifies their gender or the gender or sex assigned to them. I'm not masculine presenting. Maverick, the, the, this non-binary gender identity emphasizes the inexperience of gender. It describes those who experience gender or have a core gender identity that's independent of existing categories and definitions of gender, man or woman, masculine or feminine, and androgynous or neutral. I'm a maverick, misgender. The act of referring to someone using a gender pronoun or a gender language is incorrect, inaccurate, not exclusive, or not inclusive of the person's actual gender identity. I don't misgender anyone. Uh, male to female MTF. This term is most commonly used to refer to trans women and some trans women and people who are assigned male at birth. It's important to only use this term if someone prefers to be preferred to be referred to this way. As some trans women and some trans women people prefer to use terms that don't include or overtly indicate the sex they were assigned at birth. I'm not male to female, I'm not MTF. Multi-gender. This umbrella term is described people who experience more than one gender identity. Other gender labels that fall under the multi-gender umbrella include bi-gender, tri-gender, pan-gender, polygender. Oh yes, I'm pan-gender, that is true. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm polygender, but I'm, I'm, I'm pangender overall. In some cases, gender fluid males will fall under this umbrella. Yes, I'm multi-gender. 
two choice. This binary, this non-binary identity and umbrella term is used to describe people who have a gender that isn't exclusively man or woman. New choice can be a broad term encompassing other gender identities such as non-binary, gender, gender fluid, or genderless. Hmm, I'm new choice. Wow. Sometimes I feel like I'm genderless. Sometimes I feel like I'm agender. I know I'm non-binary for sure. Wow, new choice. Non-binary is also referred to as envy. This is a gender identity umbrella term for gender identities that can't be exclusively categorized as man or woman. Individuals who are non-binary can experience gender variety, ways, including a combination of men and women, either men or women, and nothing else all together. Some non-binary individuals are trans, while many others don't. Whether a non-binary person is also trans typically depends on the extent to which that person identifies even partially with the sex or gender assigned to them at birth. Yes, I'm non-binary. Novagender. People use this gender identity experience having a gender that can't be described using existing language in its complex and unique nature. Um, yeah, novagender. Omnigender. Non-binary gender identity that describes people experience all or many gender identities on the gender spectrum simultaneously or over time, similar to, pan- similar to pangender. Yes, I'm omnigender. Uh, pangender. A non-binary gender identity that describes people experience all or many gender identities on the gender spectrum simultaneously or over time, similar to omnigender. As you already know, I'm pangender. Uh, polygender. This gender identity term describes the experience of having multiple gender identities simultaneously over time. This term indicates the number of gender identities someone experiences, but doesn't necessarily indicate which genders are included in the given person's polygender identity. Uh, sometimes um, I feel like I'm polygender. Um, sex. The classification for persons male, female, and intersex based on the existing system of organizing human bodies and biology. The system is based on chromosomes, hormones, internal and external reproductive organs and secondary sex characteristics. That sex in this case doesn't apply to me. Sex assigned at birth. This refers to the act of assigning or this that or designating a particular sex to a person based on their chromosomes, hormones, internal and external reproductive organs, secondary sex characteristics. It is often done by medical professionals during pregnancy or immediately after childbirth. The sex a person is assigned at birth doesn't determine or indicate anything about the authentic gender identity. I'm sorry. The sex a person assigned at birth doesn't determine or indicate anything about their authentic gender experience or identity. No, sex assigned at birth, not me. Social dysphoria, a specific type of gender dysphoria that manifests as distress and discomfort that results from the way society other people receive labels or to interact with someone's gender or body. Social dysphoria, yeah, that's not who I am. Soft clutch, both a gender identity and term used to describe the non-conforming gender expression of someone who has some masculine or clutch traits but doesn't fully fit the stereotypes associated with masculine or clutch cisgender lesbians. Soft clutch is not who I am. Uh, third gender, originating in non-Western and indigenous cultures, Third gender is a gender category that includes people who have a gender that can't be exclusively categorized as man or woman, or is different from man or woman. Um, third gender is not me. Uh, trans feminine, a gender identity label that conveys the experience of having a feminine gender identity that's different from the gender or sex that was assigned at birth. And trans feminine is not me. 
transgender or trans, both an umbrella term including many gender identities and a specific gender identity that describes those with gender identities that differ from the gender sex on the birth. I am internally transgender. I am internally trans. Uh, trans masculine, a gender identity label that conveys the experience of having a masculine gender identity that's different than the gender or sex as assigned at birth. I'm not trans masculine. Transitioning. Um, the act of making physical, social, medical, surgical, interpersonal, personal changes that help to affirm gender or address gender dysphoria. Uh, transitioning um, is not something I want to do. Transsexual. Falls under transgender umbrella. Transsexual is a word that is medically and historically used to indicate the difference between one's gender identity. Example, the internal experience of gender and sex assigned at birth as male, female, or intersex. Transsexuals often, though not always, used to communicate that one's experience of gender involves a medical diagnosis and medical changes such as hormones and surgery that help alter anatomy and appearance to feel more congruent with gender identity. Due to a fraud history, the word transsexual could be contentious, should be used unless someone specifically asks to be referred to this way. Um, I'm internally transsexual. Again, I don't want to do any medical changes nor have a medical diagnosis. I don't want to do, um, I don't want any surgery. I don't want to do surgeries. I don't want to alter my anatomies and appearances at all. And as for hormones, I just let my hormones just be what they are. Uh, trigender. This gender identity describes the experience of having three gender identities simultaneously all the time. The term indicates the number of gender identities someone experiences, but doesn't necessarily indicate which genders are included in a given person's transgender identity. Two spirit this umbrella term was created by Native American communities to bring traditional indigenous understandings of gender and sexuality to Western and contemporary Native education and literature. Each First Nation tribe has its own understanding and meaning of what it means to be two spirit, so this term can have many definitions. Two-spirit generally refers to a gender role believed to be a common acknowledged acceptance and praise gender classification among most First Nation communities dating back centuries. Um, I'm two-spirit in heart. Um, the bottom line. It's amazing that gender is something many people thought was a simple concept is actually so personal, nuanced, and complex. For that reason, it's totally okay if this is if this list is a lot to digest. Just remember, gender is an essential part of health, well-being for everyone. Becoming familiar with language that helps you to talk about this part of, it, of identity in society is a great way to care for yourself and be an ally to others. Um, this is written by Mira Abrams. We, um, I and Sion Ferguson, too. Um, I go by all gender pronouns. I go by all male gender pronouns. I go by all women. I'm sorry. I go by all male gender pronouns. I go by all female gender pronouns. I go by all gender neutral pronouns. I go by all non-binary pronouns. So you can call me Antonio. That's my male name. Antonia. That's my female name. And Hunt is my non-binary slash gender neutral name. Pick the name 
or names, pick the pro gender pronoun or gender pronouns that work well for you to remember to be respectful towards me will be just fine. Okay. Okay, I did say I was going to do... Yeah, one more. The guide to ethical porn, what makes it different where to find an MVP contributor by Alex Shea. This is the last time I used this article. October 3rd, 2020, there are a lot of issues that make shit porn. It tends to be totally centered on what's hot for men and often depict women in a degrading or dehumanizing way and isn't always made or shared in a way that's fair respectful to the performers. Let's say it this way, too. There are a lot of issues with mainstream porn. It tends to be totally centered on uh, depicting men integrating into humanizing ways as well. So if you've been dissatisfied most mainstream points come across ethical porn might be the answer. Here's what makes ethical porn different where to find it. What is ethical porn? Ethical porn sometimes called feminist porn fair trade porn. It's pornography that is made to sense the increased performance with respect they performers and filmmakers for their work. There's a mutual understanding among everyone on the films that everyone knows feels comfortable with what's happening. Ethical porn evaluates the needs, boundaries, and curiosity of the performer, sex therapist, Camille, and Lewis. AMFT tells MBG. So it also often shows more realistic depictions of sex, including people, diverse body types, queer relationships, and real female pleasure. One study found every one in four people visit porn websites are women. Ethical porn attempts to cater to that often scenes that aren't solely centered around the male gaze, Jay-Z. Ethical porn is inclusive, creative, and consensual, Google says. So I, I want to make this clear for the very last time by myself on the, in the podcast episode. I want to be a global ethical porn icon. I want to be a, I want to be a global feminist porn icon. I want to be a global fair trade porn icon. I want to be a global sex positive porn icon. I want to be a global independent porn icon. I want to be a global alternative porn icon. Okay, let's 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 keep going. Components of ethical porn. As an alternative to mainstream porn, ethical porn takes certain items into consideration when producing a film. But how do you know if a platform is adherent to ethical standards and what ethical standards are they adherent to? One, the performance and filmmakers be paid fairly. Ethically produced adult films recognize performers as workers who must be fairly compensated. Just like any other actor or any other type of employee in the world, the same goes for everyone else on set. This is why you generally have to pay for these platforms. Two, it's usually not free. There's some exceptions to this, but in general, there's usually a cost involved to be ethical porn films to make sure performers and filmmakers are paid fairly. The money is used to pay everyone included in the process and to ensure a film is created in a safe space. Three, it's made in a safe environment that treats performance with respect. So, so far, I did one, two, now I'm doing three. Centralizing the physical and emotional safety performance is essential in creating ethical porn, Lewis explains. That means performers aren't pressured into doing things they don't want to do or put in unsafe or uncompromising situations ever. Performers are people with feelings and opinions that deserve to be listened to just like anyone else. Making sure they're comfortable and relaxed is necessary to create anything ethical. Four, it shows real sexual pleasure. Key component of ethical porn is accentuating what pleasure looks like, particularly pleasure for people with vaginas. A lot fewer fake orgasms and immediate arousal, and a lot more giggling and skin to skin closeness. 
Sex can be messy and romantic and passionate. Five is created for all kinds of viewers. Mainstream porn has left us with a male-dominated outlook on what sex is meant to look like, feel like, and even sound like. Ethical porn, on the other hand, often showcases what sex looks like from various perspectives and understands that people in vaginas not only watch porn, but enjoy porn. Six, it shows diversity across body size, race, sexuality, age, and ability. Mainstream porn tends to forget about the way the rest of the world looks like. The fluidity of sexuality and the fact that every age group has sex. Again, mainstream porn tends to forget about the way the rest of the world looks. The fluidity of sexuality and the fact that every age group has sex. Ethical porn platforms aim to feature people from all walks of life. The more inclusive, the better. After all, it's nice to see someone who looks like us and the erotic film we're watching. Seven, everything is created and shared consensually. Consent is such a crucial part of what makes mainstream porn seem icky. Sometimes it seems unclear whether the people in a film had agreed to what was happening. There are many stories of performers who are hit with last minute scene changes that led to tension on set. Ethical porn has none of that. Everything is created with enthusiastic consent from everyone involved and shared with everyone's consent. Everyone involved is old enough to consent to sex and given the opportunity to state what sexual activities they do or don't feel comfortable doing at any time. Um, I'll just say this. If the individual Lewis, Lewis emphasizes the importance of doing your research, which means potentially following your favorite performance on social media platforms such as Twitter, those platforms give performance a voice, so you might be able to see what their thoughts are on particular scenes or platforms, she explains. It'll also give the opportunity to follow some of their work that's produced independently or not on mainstream sites. She says ethical porn platforms and film companies should clarify their stance of what exactly makes their films ethical and help consumers by being more specific about how they think they are honoring ethical concerns, whether that be how they pay their performance, how they prioritize consent. Plainly laid out explanations would ease many concerns consumers have about finding ethical porn platforms to support. Just because a platform or film production house labels their films ethical porn does not necessarily mean that it's really made ethically, especially since not everyone agrees on what exactly makes a film and its production ethical. So, concerns with ethical porn, you know? Much like organic scenes have no clear meaning for food, I'm not sure ethical means for porn researcher, scientist Nicole Prost, PhD says. Um, the bottom line, in an effort to change the way our society perceives sex, ethical porn provides the opportunity to bask in sex positive experiences without feeling guilty about our search history. Wherever you prefer to engage in porn, make sure you're paying attention to the company supporting. Opt for companies who are inclusive, treat the performance with respect, and encourage a sex positive message. All it takes is a little digging and diligence across ads. Will you identify one that fits your value, support its production by consistently paying or rating the content well? This is Alex Shea, a VG contributor. Um, so you do have Sounds of Pleasure. Sounds of Pleasure is a free audio platform host on Tumblr that has a set list of clips that feature the titillating aspects of sex like heavy breathing, raspy voice, voices, and moaning. Quinn, in an effort to make people feel comfortable in their bodies with their sexuality, Carolina Spiegel created Quinn. It's a free audio platform that has every ounce of eroticism without the lens. Think quick clips of porn without the visuals. Dipsy. Dipsy is audio porn that celebrates healthy sexual clips for every flavor, interest, or fantasy. They have a story studio where scripts are written in house made part of voice actors, all of which are paid. Monthly subscriptions start at $9. Audio porn. Audio porn is easy to produce, actually, because performers don't need to physically engage in sex action as an image shared. 
erotic audio platforms also tend to cater to women, gender, other than men as they focus more on storytelling. Frolicking. Uh, Frolicking was created with couples and people with vaginas in mind. This platform depicts the art of mutually consenting sex between adults to focus on female pleasure and passion. In addition to adult films, Frolicking offers other erotic meetings like articles and audios. Light Southern is an Aussie platform created by Michelle Flynn. The strive to create really good porn for everyone and does that by showcasing realistic sex, bodies, touching various positions, and intimate situations. It's one of the few porn platforms that offers consumers access to features like director's cuts, film festival cuts, and behind the scenes footage. SSSH is a crowdsourced erotic film platform that dives into the fantasies and values shared among their members by combining porn and artistry. Through the use of storytelling techniques like virtual reality, VR, and narrative, their storylines stimulate both the mind and the body. I feel myself as a platform that shines a light on female self-pleasure. Yes, physically portraying the female orgasm in its most raw form. This platform allows contributors to share their videos in exchange for payment. Feeling myself offers a form for consumers to interact with one another throughout the content they're watching. Make Love Not Porn. Cindy Gallup created Make Love Not Porn. L MLNP in order to showcase a real sex looks like. In every flavor, real couples and individuals send in their erotic videos and get paid for them. People can remain anonymous if they choose, and they can also move their videos on the platform at any time. Bright Desire strives to illustrate all the things left about sex, the intimacy, the fun, the passion. The platform includes scenes of real life couples exploring themselves sexually and embracing the flesh they feel without a script. Filmmaking is not as says that films are holistic in that. More than genitals are shown, you see the sweat, shudders, and vinegar shows expression too. Kink.com is a platform that highlights BDS and the fetishes. So this platform works to desensitize the shame that surrounds kink and represent, very, represent various members of society, particularly people of color. Bless is a porn company run by women making films that cater to women. At Bless, we believe that sexuality and internet should depict women as they truly are a subject of pleasure, not objects of conquest. I would say the same thing about men. Men are subjects of pleasure, not objects of conquest, too. So even though women are subjects of pleasure, not objects of conquest, the same is true about men, the same is true about other people, plus people that they about non-binary persons and gender neutral persons. Of course, their website, they offer videos, cams, and written erotic stories. Picklabel.tv by filmmaker Sean Lewis. Shine Luis Houston is a platform that explores the fluidity of sexuality between performers or queer, trans people of color, people with disabilities, and older folks. Houston created PicklabelTV to provide emerging filmmakers with access to ethical production, sexual resources, and a global audience. Those are the places to watch ethical porn. Here's a list of platforms to help get started and look for ethical porn. That said, it's a good idea to put in your own research to truly dig into any platform you're considering using to make sure that you're truly ethical, not just, to, not just using the label and line up your values. Warning, these are obviously not safe for work in SFW and not safe for school in SFS links. So I look forward to participating in ethical, I look forward to participating in all types of ethical porn they said. I look forward to being a global audio porn icon. I look forward to being a global visual porn icon. 
if you could write porn, I look forward to being a global written porn icon. Um, so, I'm looking forward to working with all ethical porn companies. Now, I say this for the last time, I look forward to being a global mainstream porn icon, meaning I look forward to working with mainstream porn companies who create ethical content and they have ethical practices. So yes, I'm gonna be a global mainstream porn icon. My damn self. And with that being said, I like to say this at the conclusion of this episode, peace the fuck out, peeps.